Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Welcome to On The Rock, God's unchanging word for changing times with Dr. Camille Majdali, Director of Teach All Nations Melbourne, Australia. Dr. Camille lived and studied in the Middle East, served as a principal of a leading Bible college and now travels the world teaching God's word. He has an extraordinary knowledge of the Bible and a dynamic ability to make God's truth come alive in a real, practical way. This episode of On The Rock will give you keys to survive and succeed in the days ahead by hearing and doing the words of Jesus. It should be the greatest joy in our entire life. In today's program, we're going to see that when it comes time to worship God, we should be there, boots and all. Our series is entitled, The Coming King, Understanding the Book of Zechariah, a verse-by-verse commentary. Audio commentary, that is, with PDF notes as well, part of our larger Understanding the Bible series. It is time to worship God. And believe me, God is not only worthy of worship, but worship is the most healthy and wonderful of experiences. In a world that is increasingly self-centered, self-focused, narcissistic, there's nothing like worship to get our mind off ourselves and onto God. And let's be really honest, friends. If all we do is focus on ourselves, we're focusing on problems. When we focus on God through worship, we're focusing on the solution. And there's nothing like focusing on the solution to not just brighten up your day, but to ensure a brighter future. Furthermore, the worship of God connects us with the Almighty, where He can download all His love, His blessing, His care upon us. He is worthy of our worship. I heard it said when I was young, and I've been repeating this ever since, and I believe it's so true. All eternity is not long enough to thank Jesus for such a great salvation. When you consider what Jesus has saved us from and focus on what he's prepared for us, it will leave you breathless and speechless, but hopefully enough breath to give thanks and to worship his name. For true believers, worshiping God is of the highest benefit and blessing. It is what we were made for. Don't just think, though, that all we're doing is standing around eternally, strumming harps and singing. It seems like that would be the case when you read some of the accounts from the book of Revelation of the 24 elders, of the four preachers, and of the multitude, numerous multitude, singing Hosanna in the highest and holy, holy is the Lord. But I actually believe that worship includes that time of adoration, that time of singing, that time of blessing. But worship is also our service before God. We are his servants, and we will be with him wherever he goes. So there's a whole lot to this. But our range of verses is the final part of the book of Zechariah, this great messianic prophecy, which speaks of both the first and second comings of Jesus as well as a hint of what the Messianic kingdom will be like. So our range of verses, Zechariah 14, 16 to 21. Let me read to you from verse 16. It says, And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feasts of tabernacles. 
Very interesting verse here. It's not talking merely of Jewish people keeping this Feast of Tabernacles, which they have done, of course, for millennia. It's talking about those of the nations. In other words, Gentiles will come to keep the Feast of the Tabernacles. They will basically have what is called an obligatory pilgrimage. Now, of course, doing a pilgrimage to Jerusalem is not some arduous task. It's a great pleasure. It's a great privilege. It's a great thrill. And I've had the experience of taking numerous groups, dozens of them, to the Holy Land. And the effect that it has on people always remains the same, no matter what country they come from, no matter what their age or gender. They are often in awe. And that's without any hype. And that's without even having the Lord sitting on his throne. But the point is, Jerusalem Jerusalem, the city of the great king, will be an epicenter of divine worship. All right, it's time to look at the entire passage because our lesson is entitled Time to Worship God. And this is the final part of Zechariah. It's not the final segment, but it's the final part. Zechariah 14, verses 16 to 21. Again, Zechariah chapter 14, verses 16 to 21. Let's listen carefully because this is God's word. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And it shall be that whoso will not come up of all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. And if the family of Egypt go not up and come not that have no rain. There shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite the heathen that come not up to keep the feast of tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all nations that come not up to keep the feast of tabernacles. In that day shall there be upon the bells of the horses holiness unto the Lord. And the pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Yea, every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah shall be holiness unto the Lord of hosts. And all they that sacrifice shall come and take of them and see therein. And in that day there shall be no more the Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. This is the last verse in the book of Zechariah. And our Range of verses, Zechariah 14, verses 16 to 21. Now, before I comment on Zechariah, I just want to read to you from Psalm 122 to give you an idea of the excitement and the ecstasy that comes when it's time to worship God, which is our theme here. Psalm 122, I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is builded as a city that is compact together. Psalm 122 is a pilgrimage psalm. It's a worship psalm. But please note, here there's not something that sounds obligatory, but something that sounds like it's a very desired activity. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Well, they're not going to the house of the Lord to have an active social life, although many people do. They're not going to the house of the Lord merely to have a fellowship meal, although people enjoy that as well. The excitement is going to the house of the Lord to meet with the Lord and to worship Him. Friend, I don't know what your experience with worship is, but I 
was raised in ministry in an atmosphere of revival and worship, where people, I was in my early 20s, and my wife, who I met in worship, met in Jerusalem, my wife also enjoyed the worship. It's something when you see younger people and all people excited about going to the house of God. And that's really how it should be. We don't need to be bored to death with sermons that are unanointed and not based on scripture. And to be honest, we don't need to be entertained either. When the presence of God comes, it overrules and overwrites everything. And it's amazing the deep cleansing and ministry that God can do to people in an atmosphere of worship. I have seen people healed without anyone laying hands on them, simply because they gave themselves over to zeal for the house of the Lord and zeal for worship of the Lord. Not worshiping by rote, not worshiping religiously, but worshiping as Jesus says God wants to be worshiped in John chapter 4, in spirit and in truth. There is something about worship that just changes everything. It lifts you up above the fray that holds everyone else back, and it puts your feet on the solid rock and on the mountain top. So this is basically about pilgrimage. And this is a subject I know a bit about. I did my postgraduate thesis on pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And what pilgrimage is, friends, again, don't think of something religious, although religious people do it. Many, in fact, do it. Pilgrimage simply means a long journey to the sacred destination. Now, the pilgrim is the one that's making the journey, and the pilgrimage is the journey itself, connecting with the source of faith. Whether it's a holy place, a holy land, a holy person, the pilgrimage is the journey, the pilgrim is the person. And the difference between a pilgrim and a tourist is not external, because oftentimes they look the same, especially in the Holy Land. No, the difference between the pilgrim and the tourist is not what's on the outside, not how they dress, how they talk, or anything like that. It's what's on the inside, because the pilgrim has faith, and they're making the journey in faith, and they believe they're going to connect with their faith and be better off in the process. We don't do pilgrimage to earn brownie points with the Lord. We do pilgrimage either because he tells us to, or we do pilgrimage to walk where Jesus walked, which is a form of devotion, or we do pilgrimage to learn more about the Bible. And that means it's education. So our current motive for pilgrimage, be it to Jerusalem, the Holy Land, or what have you, is to have devotion walking where Jesus walked, and to learn more of the Word of God, education. So in Zechariah fourteen sixteen, it says that the survivors of the nations who tried to destroy Jerusalem, city of the great king, will have an annual appointment to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles, which is known in Hebrew as Sukkot. Since 1980, the International Christian Embassy at Jerusalem has been hosting a Christian feast of the tabernacles. It draws thousands of people from all over the world year after year, ever since 1980. But according to their own admission, they are not the fulfillment of this prophecy. Maybe they're the warm-up, but they're not the fulfillment for the simple reason that in Zechariah, when the pilgrims go to the Feast of Tabernacle, the Lord of hosts will be there visibly, physically, bodily, namely the Lord Jesus Christ. So he hasn't yet come, 
And even though there's thousands of pilgrims coming to the current Feast of Tabernacles, this will be only a small fraction of the multitudes that will come during the millennial reign of Christ. Because when the king comes, the nations will be represented. And then, of course, verse 17, it talks about the consequences of not coming to the Feast of the Tabernacles. Now, remember that Israel had three pilgrimage feasts, where every Israelite male was to appear before the Lord during those pilgrimage feasts. The first, of course, is Passover. They have to come to the temple and offer a sacrifice. The second was Pentecost. Now, Passover is called Pesach in Hebrew, and Pentecost is called Shavuot, Feast of Weeks. They had to come to Jerusalem for that, and that's only, what, six, seven weeks after Passover. So that's a lot of traveling in a short amount of time, particularly in antiquity, where they did it by foot. And then the third pilgrimage feast is this one, Sukkot, Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles is the only feast that doesn't yet have a New Testament fulfillment. Not yet. Passover was filled in the New Testament by the crucifixion of Jesus. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Pentecost, of course, which the Feast of Weeks, a harvest or agricultural feast, became, of course, the birthday of the church and the place where the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the followers of Jesus. It's a wholesale anointing, a universal outpouring. But the Feast of Tabernacles will only have its New Testament or Latter-day fulfillment when the millennium is here because the King has come. So what will happen to those who don't come up and keep their appointment? It talks about Jerusalem being a place of living water, and living water will come and flow to the east and to the west. Remember that Jerusalem was water-challenged. To the east of Jerusalem, the Judean wilderness, water challenged. The Jordan Valley, after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, also water challenged, though it housed a lake we call the Dead Sea, a huge one, by the way. And the Jordan Valley is part of the great Afro-Syrian Rift Valley. So this is all water challenged, but out of Jerusalem in the millennium, water will flow in their direction. And I understand that even the Dead Sea will not be dead anymore. The people will be fishing at Ein Gedi in the time of the millennium. We read this, of course, in Ezekiel. So all this is wonderful. However, if there are nations that don't keep the obligatory pilgrimage of worshiping the King, the Lord of hosts, they will be hit with drought. They will have no rain. Remember, this appointment is not just with any king. It's with Almighty God himself. And he deserves all the glory and all the praise. Failure to render to God the things that are God's will result in serious consequences. In Zechariah fourteen eighteen, it talks about if the family of Egypt does not come up to the Feast of Tabernacles to worship the Lord, they will have no rain. Now, I don't know how that works in Egypt, because the lifeline of Egypt is the 6,000-kilometer-long Nile River. And the Nile River is the reason there's a country called Egypt, because the land of Egypt is only, I think it's something like 3% arable, and like 99% of the Egyptians live somewhere near the Nile or the Nile Delta or something like that. 
if there's no rain in Egypt, what about the Nile? Will the Nile be adversely affected? Well, of course, I can't answer that question. All I know is Egypt without the Nile would not even exist. What about rain? Because after all, even the Nile will need rain. The consequences just will be simply so great. Rebellion has these consequences. And so let's just remember, before you go to battle, count the costs. If you want to battle for God because he's called you to his service, count the costs. There will be a cost. In the natural, it will seem great. But in the light of eternity, the price we pay to serve God, to walk with God, to love and and worship God will be small change compared to the gold bullion bar of blessing in return. But likewise, to reject God, his word, his commands will have, shall we say, enormous, enormous consequences. Our lesson here is entitled, It's Time to Worship the King. And our lesson for life is this. When it comes to obeying God, there are dire consequences for the disobedient and abundant blessing for the obedient. Remember to visit us at our Facebook page, Teach All Nations Education, and thank you for liking our page. You can also go to our homepage at tan.org.au to sign up for the free monthly Issachar Teaching e-letter, helping you to become future-ready with articles from the Bible, Victorious Living, and current events in the light of God's Word. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to worship you here and now in spirit and in truth. We become better people, more connected, more anointed, more equipped, more empowered when we worship you. And Lord, teach us what it means to embrace the cross and to forget about ourselves and to forget about our lives, knowing that when we forget about these things and focus on you, we'll find everything with dividends. We praise you for this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Today's On The Rock was brought to you by Teach All Nations. If you would like more information about this ministry, to download podcasts, view our online store, attend special events, sign up for our teaching newsletter, make a donation to support this ministry, or to invite Dr. Camille to speak, log on to www.tan.org.au or write to us at Post Office Box 493, Mount Waverley 3149. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.